Welcome to episode 5 of Humans of UNDP, a podcast where we get to know fellow colleagues and where we explore how we connect and communicate in the digital age. Today, co-producer Oscar Durand and I are back in Iraq with Marley Tinock, a communications and reporting specialist. When we last spoke with Marley, she was back home in Australia during the height of the wildfires. Now that she's returned to Erbil, she's still needing to stay safe indoors, but for another reason, COVID-19. Luckily, she's finding a way to make the best of the lockdown with her new roommate. Sorry for the background noise as well, guys. I uh, I adopted a puppy as a coping mechanism whilst I'm on lockdown. So I have to keep one of the doors open so that he can get out if he needs to answer nature's call. Um, so there may be a little bit of traffic in the background occasionally, but with lockdown, it's minimum. So sorry about that. I've become somewhat of a, uh, a puppy dealer. I'm getting a lot of the other UN and NGO colleagues that are stuck in lockdown here with me having a puppy delivery service. So taking on a puppy is a good service deed that you can do while in lockdown <laughs> and, and keeps you company. <laughs> Marley admits she's not much of a chef, so cooking while in lockdown has been a bit of a challenge given she's already out of her Vegemite supply she brought back from Australia. Fortunately, she's been enjoying another local specialty, raw honey. It was produced by some regional beekeepers she met in the field, documenting a vocational training program led by a local NGO that Marley featured in one of her most recent articles for UNDP, The Sweetest Job. Marley told us that beekeeping has existed in Iraq in one form or another for an estimated 8,000 years. Even ancient Sumerian tablets had recipes that used honey for medicinal purposes. Fortunately, this medicine is anything but a bitter pill. It's very, like, a bit more of a caramel flavor profile than I would say a floral profile, um, definitely not, nothing overly distinct. So I think it's a very good and marketable honey. <laughs> but we tried, like I said, some of the raw honey um, and that's before it's been processed. And that's when it's got a bit of a creaminess to it, which is quite nice to taste as well. Beekeeping in Iraq is resurging following a stark decline throughout the 19th and 20th centuries due to reoccurring conflict, disease, displacement, and the increase in chemicals used for agriculture there. The beneficiaries Marley documented are also contributing to the growth of beekeeping in the region. So in the lowlands, in the Nineveh Plains, where we were visiting, it's primarily grassland area. So the beekeepers tend to live in communities where uh, people have their own gardens, so family gardens, both for vegetables, but also flower gardens. And of course, bees love these gardens. In total, 200 households were selected to receive hives, along with safety clothes and tools, and training on apiculture, business management, and post-harvest marketing. They're small scale. All of them have increased production over the past two years, and they split their hives every year and create subsequent hives. Some of them sell those new hives, and they just continue to see their businesses grow, but they all love eating honey. They love consuming honey. And they gave us some of the raw honey as well, which I hadn't eaten before. Um, and probably me um, was, again, a little bit, you know, cautious being like, am I supposed to eat untreated honey? Is that bad for me? And they're all laughing at me and going, oh, silly, you can eat it, it's fine. And it was delicious and it was great and they gave us fresh bread. And it was through connecting with people that Marley was able to really get a sense for how to tell this story. So it was really nice to sort of connect with people that, you know, clearly really enjoyed their jobs. And I think that really goes back to the title of the piece, which is The Sweetest Job. And obviously that's not just a, a good play on words, but it really showed in the conversations that I had with people. 
And I think that was because I was able, and I think this is key, to capture and ask the right questions and get strong responses that I was able to put together a piece that people could relate to. For example, with the wasps, you know, um, I, I remember this, this, this one woman speaking to me and saying, you know, the wasp is the worst enemy of the bee. So she was, you know, so passionate telling me about it. She had her, her special stick that she used to squash the wasps and, and usher them out of the beehives. Um, and it's these little things where it's like, you know, you don't know these things and all the little bits and pieces of the puzzle that come together to really um, tell someone's story. It's not straightforward. And I think that's how you can capture the human element and actually present it online. Um, and so I was lucky that I was able to get some beautiful photos and some beautiful quotes. You know, no story is going to be as successful if you don't have impactful visuals, but it has to be equally complemented by great insights and those elements of the text that really enable you to connect with the people. So it has to be a bit of a combination of both. So you need to, I think you need to be just really present on the day and you need to be able to react well and respond well um, and engage with the beneficiaries. And how, how do you know the hive is strong from there? Marley has to get creative to really capture and communicate the human side of the story to UNDP's diverse online audiences. This can be challenging, especially because her audience is both internal and external to UNDP. Part of this story is to show the richness of this industry in Iraq. Our content is, is published in Kurdish and Arabic and English so that we can appeal to um, the local audiences as well as the international audiences. So I certainly think that highlighting that aquaculture is a job that is enjoyable by, by many in many ways is feasible given the context that we're in and the market for, for such a good and that there is skills and training that is available to them as well. I think that that speaks to an audience to say, you know, what are my career options? and potentially sparking an idea in someone's head to say, maybe I've never thought about this before, but could I be a beekeeper? I think that's one audience. I think the other audiences are definitely, you know, our donor community. And in many cases, we, we credit our donors in these articles and they're able to see the impact of their work. And that usually is, you know, a good incentive to say this works. And then also the sort of international civil society, I think to really be able to see the human side of what's happening in Iraq. And so people sitting at home in the US, in Australia, in Europe, in Latin America, wherever, around the world can maybe relate a little bit to Iraq. There's an element of empathy, sympathy, and also just a greater understanding of the people and their history, because you don't always need to hear all the bad things. And I think each story that we're able to highlight the adversity, the strength and the spirit of Iraqi people through these stories, every story hopefully builds a greater narrative around, you know, just what can be achieved in this country if, you know, there is not only funding support, but also an improved rhetoric around the regions. Yeah, I think it touches on a few different audiences for a few different reasons. And I think that that's the beauty of a more emotive editorial piece is that it's not only talking about results, but it's also connecting to the human at the center of the story.
one of the best ways she reaches her audience and creates buzz around her stories is by tagging them in the articles she posts. It often takes less than 24 hours and someone will have tagged the interviewees and, and they'll have shared it within their own social media with their friends and their family. Yeah, you can see that people are proud of their livelihoods and they want to share it and they want to tell their story just in the right way. But in the crowded space that is the internet, you know, for every one story you put up, there's 500 million others. And I think that that process of publishing and then waiting and then trying to repurpose content when you feel is necessary is often the more difficult part. You know, as digital communications is by nature, it's constantly evolving, it's constantly being updated, minute by minute, second by second. So creating an impactful story is, is always one thing, but then you know, making the most of it, I think, sometimes is the hard part. When it comes to her work in communications, Marley stressed the most critical element of producing a good story often comes down to how well she connects with the people she is interviewing. And if you kind of go in there stock standard and you just say, how many years have you been beekeeping? How many hives do you have? How much honey do you sell? How much did you sell it for? You're not necessarily going to get to know people and you're not going to necessarily be able to piece together a relatable story. It was really surprising how well I got to connect with the beneficiaries. They were, you know, thankfully very open families, very willing to talk and very excited by the work that they do. But I think sometimes you strike gold with these pieces, you know. I probably go on mission four or five times a month. Sometimes I go on mission and I come back and I don't have the story and you can't force it. But then there are days when you are able to come home from mission and know that you've really got something really beautiful and you can put that together into a story and you can articulate it in a way that it's both impactful in terms of the results but also tells that really strong human element. When we communicate digitally, the importance of paying attention to that human element is essential. It's very easy when working at a large scale such as UNDP to think big picture which is great and we want to look towards things like the SDGs but sometimes we forget that there's people at the core of everything that we do and that in order for us to really be able to stay committed to resolving these sort of global issues we need to remember that there's people there and that those people like us have feelings, experiences, you know, hard times, good times and to connect as someone working for UNDP, for the donors, for people in Iraq and also for civil society in, in countries around the world. It's important to make that connection and to remind them that there are people there that we need to really highlight. And today, in the midst of COVID-19, publishing work that connects us to one another is especially relevant. You just need to find your storytelling sweet spot. We will continue to explore the challenges of digital communications in these times in the next episode of Humans of UNDP, where we will go back to visit Victor Liddell in Fiji. This episode of Humans of UNDP is produced by Oscar Durand and myself. Our theme music is by Lemon Gua, and additional music by Chris Siversky and Sharita. Sound designed by myself. Special thanks to Marley Tinnock for sharing her time, story, and sounds with us. To listen and subscribe, go to wherever you find your podcasts or digitalnow.undp.org. I'm Elise Blenahassan. Stay with us.